I'm Roy Sharples and welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you an industry expert looking for insights? Are you growing your career? Or are you a dear friend helping to spur your pal on? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to have the most inspiring conversations with creative industry personalities and experts about entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film and fashion. Youth culture is the canvas onto which our values are imprinted and shaped. Seamlessly woven into this is the responsibility to pass the baton by leaving the world better than we inherited it. Brian Mackay has spent the last 20 years holistically building a sustainable legacy at the vanguard of developing youth culture in the northeast of Scotland through community-centric outreach programs, allowing people to live self-determined lives, build their creative confidence and provide learning pathways to advance thousands of young people's knowledge, values and skills helping them recognize and actualize their talents by moving them into education, employment, and training. Brian provides perspective on his approach to community leadership, how he has instilled a culture of thinking, learning, and doing, and what it takes to lead, the pitfalls to avoid, keys to success, and his vision for the future of youth culture. Hello and welcome, Brian. So what inspired and attracted you to become a community leader in the first place? You know what, I, I didn't actually know that youth work was really a career. Um, I had grown up in the northeast of Scotland, as, as you know, and had no real direction. I didn't really know what it was I wanted to do um, as, a, as a career or as a, as a vocation. There was no real driving force behind me from um, parents and at school, unless you fit in a certain box, unless you were... Um, very academically minded, unless you had that um, nurturing teacher behind you, then you were kind of left to your own devices as long as you didn't rock the boat. So I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I probably knew what I didn't want to do, and that was kind of spend a life just doing the same old thing day in, day out, you know. Um, but as I say, I, I didn't really know to the point that I, I joined the, the Royal Navy when I, I left school, and that ended pretty quickly because I realised that very early on that I didn't like people telling me what to do, you know. So came back, worked in the fishing industry and the fish processing factories, you know, but wanted something more, wanted something extra, but didn't know what that something extra was. And it wasn't until I moved down to, to Yorkshire, be closer to my sister, who was a primary school teacher, that I kind of found my calling, if you want to call it that, um, I was doing deliveries for Royal Mail and was finishing early on in, in the afternoon. So I had a lot of spare time to myself and found myself coaching kids' football teams. Um, football was something that I absolutely loved growing up and, and um, volunteered to coach a 9- to 13-year-old's football team. And it was it was just water off a duck's back. I took it really, really easy because you're teaching kids how to play football. You know, There is no real science I suppose in that it's about finding a pocket of space and, and you know passing to each other really simple drills and it was one of the the um the youth workers there said oh you're really good at this and it was yeah of course I'm good at it it's just playing football you know and that's not egotistical you know but we played football growing up and it was just about passing that on to them and they said no the way you're working with the young people the way you're speaking to them the way that they're engaging with you the way that you can get your point across and get them to listen 
and do you want to help out in the youth club? Now, to me, youth clubs growing up were a Thursday night and you were left to your own devices and you were able to play pool and you were playing five-a-side football indoors. I mean, probably it was a different time in 1980s and youth workers were, were probably cut from a different cloth. So I started um, working on evenings at the, the local youth club, again, around a pool table um, and coaching football teams. But there's so much great work that you can do around a pool table. There's so much information that you can impart to young people around a pool table. And there's so much that they can give you. As soon as you put the pool cue in their hand, it kind of disarms them and it's an open playing field and you can relax and you can just get great little snippets of information and start building up um, a picture of who this young person is and what you can do with them, you know, and, and where they're going to go. And it's, it's, it's a great thing. And I come sometimes hunker back to doing that type of youth work. There's so much emphasis now on project-based youth work and on there has to be an agenda and there has to be something when I'm just looking back at that early days of me around a ping pong table or playing pool and just working with these young people. It was, it was, it was a really great time, you know, so I kind of fell into it by chance but then found it was something that I really, really enjoyed doing. And I think it was because of the, the upbringing that I had, and I think it was because of the, the lack of direction that I had, that I wanted to be that youth worker that I needed to be, or that I needed, sorry, when, when I was growing up. I wanted, so being consistent, um, being open and honest, um, being there no matter what, you know, and following through in your actions. You know, so if you're going to do something, do it, you know, and explain why you're doing it. Um, if you're not going to do that, it's just as important to tell the young people that you're not going to be there. So early on, I just got involved with as many different projects within many different areas, just trying to find out something that I really, really liked, you know, so there was early morning football sessions on a Saturday night. There was roller hockey on a, uh, on a Tuesday night. Um, bizarrely, I'm a, an ice hockey coach, even though I can't stand up on the ice, you know, but I, I just put myself forward for loads of different projects because I wanted to immerse myself in this world and I wanted to be the best youth worker that I could be. So that meant working across many different areas and leads and, and kind of just soaking up everything that was going on. So for a young lad that was from a small town in, a, in the northeast of Scotland to be in a sprawling metropolis of, of Leeds and, and seeing issues that I'd never have encountered back home, you know, it made me a more rounded youth for, worker for, for when I did come back, you know, when I did move back into, into Scotland and I took all of that learning there back up to Scotland. And I, and I think it, it kind of really helped me become the, the manager that I am today. Did you intentionally gravitate towards the coaching opportunity when you were in Leeds or was it just something that kind of fell out of the sky or you were pulled into? It was on part of my route walking home after finishing my deliveries and they were playing football. And I, I was kind of missing that, I think, you know, that being yeah. involved in football. And, you know, I did a little bit of five-a-side with adults, you know, playing football. But there, I don't know why I got drawn towards that. But there was obviously something there calling me and dragging me to it and yeah. pulling me to it. So I just started off coaching the, the 9 to 13-year-olds. And and for that led on to the, the Tuesday night youth club, the Thursday night youth club, the Friday night youth club, the yeah. Saturday morning, you know. So it just all snowballed for there. So growing up, you know, um, 
I didn't have any clear guidance at school um, about, you know, what to move into in terms of um, career paths or, you know, I, I never thought that university was going to be for me, you know, but then again, it was never spoken about at home, you know, very much absent parenting, you know, so when I moved to Leeds and immersed myself in, in this youth work type of, type of work, even though, again, it still doesn't feel like you're getting paid to teach kids how to play football yeah. you know you get teach uh, you're getting paid to to play pool with kids but it's more than that you know but what I saw there was that I looked back and I, and I wanted I tried to be the youth worker that I would have wanted yeah. when I was 12 when I was 13 when I was 14 yeah. you know so somebody who is is going to be consistent and is going to be there every week and, and say they're going to do what they're going to do yeah. you know it's, it's a big thing for me you know even now you know, approaching 50, even now, you know, is, is that consistency of the work that we still do is, is we have got to carry out and follow through in what we've promised to do because yeah. you don't want to let people down. You can't let them down because you don't know how many times they've been let down before in the past. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yet again, it's yet somebody else who's an adult in a trusted position who's letting them down. You know, so, so be very wise with your words, be very true and, and think about what you're saying to these young people because they had a massive lasting effect on them. It's clear that you were emerging as a spiritual leader and mentor to these young people who they obviously began to, to trust, respect and admire you because you were becoming a positive role model to them who was sharing your skills, insights and expertise to help nurture them and their ideas. In terms of programmatizing your approach, how did you go about developing ideas and converting them into concepts and then executing that through the programs that you ended up envisioning and delivering? So down in Leeds, there was a lot of education-based work I was doing in schools with um, those who'd been excluded for school. And, and that's all well and good for, for doing all of that. But there was an opportunity to move back home when I say home, back up to northeast of Scotland, um, about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And I never envisaged myself coming back and living here, but I came back in um, and I was immersed right back into my community. You know, I was working back at the school that I used to go to, the high school that I used to go to. Um, but we're nothing without the voices in our community. You know, that's so I can come up with all these great ideas and I can have these plans for everything. But if it's not what the community wants, and it's not what the community yeah. wants. So we have to have open dialogue um, with our communities. Yeah. Just recently, I've had a brand new program come online, and it's been one that's been in the pipeline for the last, I think I had a first pilot of it back in 2019. But that's only through listening to the voices in the community and looking at the gaps that are in my community yeah. and being able to, to help the community that, that we live and work in, you know? Yeah. So the process was was very much listening to what was needed yeah. and then removing as many barriers as possible to enable as many people as possible to engage with this type of informal learning and structured learning, yeah. you know? And which is why it's taken me two years to get this one up and running, you know, but it's yeah. early signs so far that it's, it's really needed. The undercurrent within your points there, Brian, is just how important education is. Yet we do not educate in terms of how we actually learn, but our education systems were designed to meet the bygone needs of the Victorian industrial age, where recall is valued over imagination. And we have an education system that benevolently steers children away from the subjects they like 
instead mandating a teaching, a teaching model based on ease of administration and replicability, early specialization, teaching to test and micromanagement, instead of embracing creativity and flexible, unstructured learning, deliver us a model that destroys free thought and crushes innovation and ultimately it polarizes people that don't fit into that regime. And so in relevance to what you and your programs are doing, Brian, is you're given the ones that fall through the system and perhaps get ignored and are excluded. Absolutely. And and through all of my career, the 20 odd years that I've been doing youth work um, and been involved in working with young people, I've always been drawn to those who, and I, I, I'm not really a fan of this term, but they're deemed um, hard to reach, you know, we're deemed yeah. hard to reach young people or those uh, at the edges uh, of the communities, those who have kind of disengaged with education or those that are involved in criminal activity. That's always been my my kind of... Um, yeah. Client group that I've always wanted that I've always worked with. I find a real challenge in, in working with those type of young people and working with just working with young people who who need fit up or who need yeah. somebody who believes in them. You know, because the, the talent is there. They just need somebody to listen and yeah. somebody to kind of point out. If you keep on doing A, then this is what's going to happen. You know, yeah. if you're going to do B, try B because we know what will happen with A. So try try path B. You know, and if it doesn't work, go back to doing what you're going to be doing. But I can guarantee you that it will happen. So when I moved back and I work, went to work at the school, I deliberately didn't put myself back in the staff room. You know, I spent, I, I did one week in a staff room and it just, <laughs> it was sucking the life out of me. You know, it, it just wasn't a very positive place to be, you know, and, and I get that it's a really tough gig being, being a teacher. You know, it really, really is. And there's lots of targets and lots of, you know, it's, it's a big school that we went to, you know, there's a lot of pupils there, but the pupils I were working with weren't engaging with school that had kind of dropped off the radar. So I didn't feel like I needed to be back in that staff room. I needed yeah. to have my own office and I needed to have somewhere that if I was working with these young people, they felt safe to come to. That yeah. it was part of school, but it wasn't a part of school, you yeah. know. Um, and I wasn't a Mr. Mackay, you know. Yeah. I wasn't Sir, I wasn't none of that. I'm just Brian, you know. And if you can create that level playing field, with young people or with anybody in your community, then you've got a starting point. You know, I'm no better, I'm no worse than anybody else, but we've got that shared common goal and the fact that I went to that school and 20 odd, 30 odd years later, things hadn't moved on as much as you would <laughs> maybe think, you know, but also in Leeds, you know, we're talking about being discriminated against because of perhaps your postcode or against your, your surname or against siblings that had been in that school prior. All of that was happening wherever I've been, you know, so... Yeah, I, I, it's not just a unique thing to the, the school I went to, you know, but it's it happens all over that young people are have kind of got a label before they've even got a label. Yes, your point on level playing field is, is spot on and fundamentally meaning open to everyone, a society that's open to everyone. And that doesn't just start with education or equality in the workplace. It starts before that. A level playing field means having secure and safe housing, having quality schooling at all levels. And when people feel included, they build meaningful social relationships. They have a stronger sense of belonging. I didn't dislike school much, you know. Yeah. I went and I, and I did okay, but yeah. I could have done so much better. But that's not just education's fault. You know, that was 
family life, you know, and they're getting that drive and that pushing and saying, you know, because it was all very, like, you're a boy, so you must go into this type of work or you must do this, you know. Yeah. I went home and said, I, I wanted to be a youth worker, you know. Yeah. Folks were like, what? You know, what? <laughs> what kind of job's that, you know? And in fact, it took years. I, I've worked in the voluntary sector practically all my days, you know, and, and my folks didn't understand it for years, you know, because they, they, they were hearing the word voluntary and thinking, you're not getting paid for this. And I was like, no, what, you don't understand. We get our pots of money from other organisations to be able to do the work that we do. You know, so it took a long while for them to really understand what I was doing and, and why I was doing it. How have you went about designing and bringing to fruition the outreach programmes that you've developed in a way that improves learning through addressing a societal need. Seven years ago it was. We, we used to run a programme that was um, just for people um, with substance misuse or substance dependency issues. Yeah, so it had run its course. We'd run it successfully for, for lots of years, you know, but we weren't getting real outcomes out of it, you know. It was a place for people to come and it was a place for people to come and, and just meet their pals, you know, but there was no real learning going on. Yeah. That, you know, that... It just wasn't ticking any boxes for anybody, you know. Um, so we sat around a table and came up with um, what is really going on, you know. What do we need to look at in order to, again, meet the needs of our communities, you know. And at that time, we were seeing a large um, uptake of clients who had mental health issues, um, yeah. people who had long-term unemployment, people who had um, physical ill, um, long-term physical complaints as well, you know but they weren't able to engage in our programme. So we, we devised this brand new programme, a 12-week employability programme um, that met the needs of that. So we opened up recovery to the broader sense. So therefore, it's no longer just about substance. Therefore, it's not just about long-term unemployed and low confidence and motivation. If you bring everybody together in this melting pot, you know, the entry in might be different. The, the, the entrance into that programme is different. But the exit... Everybody's looking to move in either education, employment or training, you know, so it's about what we do, you know, and we sat around this table and I borrowed heavily from a, from a, I used to run a programme down in Leeds that had the same acronym as the one that I've got now, you know, but I just changed the words around, yeah. you know, so we meet the needs, so we've got a programme called REACH now that is in four different areas within the northeast of Scotland, working with upwards of 400 clients per year. You know, across we're a community college, for want of a better phrase. You know, we work in a communities that the college can't get into. You know, because they've got this big buildings that they deliver their college programs are. But what our organisation is really great at is being able to get into these communities that the colleges can't get into because of the way we work, because of the programs that we deliver and how we deliver it. Because on paper, it's a college program, and you will gain college accredited um, qualifications. But it's what we identate that's different, you know. Yeah. I always joke with the staff, it's it's like the hashtag, it's more than a college course. Because some days you're doing yoga or you're doing mindfulness or there's a bit of stretch and tone or there is cooking sessions, online cooking sessions next to your college stuff, next to a community project. It's a, It just connects really well with your community, but with your peers as well. And at yeah. the end, people are left with a much better sense of self and a much better feeling of, what the future holds for them. Those are really key life skills. And also, I think by having that self-awareness at a young age and being really clear around you know, who you are, what you are, and what you are not, and who you are not, 
and to really appreciate the difference and to feel confident and secure within yourself, to be aware and 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 feel good about your your taste and your emotions and you feel free to then excel at what your passion and ultimately craft will, will become. I mean, these programs, so 12 weeks, we're, we're 16 to 25-year-old age group, you know, 16 to 25-year-olds for 12 weeks is only 60 days when you boil it down. Yeah. You know, 60 days to start making change in a young person's life, you know. Um, it's not a lot of time at all. And yeah. if you're working with somebody who's had a really negative experience at school, who's really switched off for learning, who has had maybe some trouble with the police, you know, to start that journey right on day one and get them to buy into what you're doing and get them to believe in what you're doing and believing in them because they've maybe not had somebody believe in them for a long, long time because they didn't believe in themselves. You know, so 60 days is not a long time at all. We've got a course that's a way to start on just at the end of this month in September and it'll last up until Christmas. And my my kind of selling point when I was delivering these programs was to say to the young people was, right, so it's still going to be the exact same year. So, It'll still be 2021 when you start a course. It'll still be 2021 when you finish your course. You're not planning on changing your name. You're not planning. On, there's none of these life, massive life changes. None of this is going to happen. I said, so give me 60 days and we will see what we can do. Yeah. But I need them to come along with me on that journey because they do all the work. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's easy for me to sit there and say, give me this, give me that. But they <laughs> are the ones that need to turn up every single day. And they are the ones that need to buy into what we're doing. But it's how you sell it. Right. Makes them buy into what you're doing, and that's what I come back to. You know that authentic voice, that being open and honest with them. You yeah. know, so by all means, praising them up. You know, and saying, "Well done." I can't believe you managed to achieve that. But also, sometimes people need a little word in their ear to just be told, "Look, if you keep on doing this, then this is what's going to happen to you." Yeah. You know, and, I, and I've seen it in, in different areas that I've worked in. You know, the consequences of. of um, risk-taking behaviour you know, where people will end up in you know so yeah. being that true consistent voice for them for that 60 days and it's yeah. it's, it's a, you know what it's, it's as inspirational for me now 20 odd years on as it was when the first time I did it as well you know seeing these young people come in with no hope and hoods yeah. up yeah. And, and not believing in themselves to then 60 days later we we hold a graduation ceremony for them right, right? so <laughs> right at the end because a lot of them like I said they, they've never completed school you know, a lot of them have never gone on university. You know, a lot of them have never been to the school prom, you know, because it's they, they, they never finished school, you know. So for one night, we flip it on its head and make the night all about them, you know. So we, we hire a local hotel, people get dressed up. Uh, the flipping, the caveat is that they have to stand up and do a bit of public speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some of our graduations, there's 250 people in the audience. But people are there to hear their stories. People are genuinely interested in to see what they've been doing in their communities and what the difference is because they won't be telling their parents and they won't be telling their friends what they're actually doing you know, they'll be asked how are you getting on yeah it's okay you know but it's when they come along and they hear the stories of you know never missing a day in 60 days you know when in fact they never did a full week at school for four years you know, but they've turned up for us for 60 days and that's for one of my programs we, we did a massive project a community project we we installed, I'm saying we, I'm using the royal we here. I, I, I just <laughs> oversaw the project. My DIY skills are terrible. But we put in a, a safe play decking area for um, pupils at a school for additional support needs in Peterhead. Um, so the young people that were on that programme had never finished school, etc. had never, had been criminal activity, were, were kind of, um, were on this cusp of being long-term unemployed. And 
we did a three-week community project whereby they had to fundraise to raise the money to carry out this project. But then they had to, everything about that project, so they had to project manage it. They had to dig out 30 tonne of soil. They had to move the soil. They had to get the land um, flattened. They had to concrete and posts. So from start to finish, that whole project took them 11 days. See how I'm going to them now. So they'll get the credit for it. It wasn't actually me. But in 11 days, you had young people there who never missed a day. Now, they weren't going to get any benefit from that project, really. Yeah. You know, they yeah. weren't going to go to that school. But I, I kind of sold it as, like, all we're going to be doing today is we're digging a hole, and then all we're going to be doing. So we broke it down in small, manageable chunks. Yeah. yeah. I also sold it to them in the fact that they're going to be changing the pupils' lives. They're going to be changing their families' lives. They're going to be changing the teachers' lives. They're changing their community's lives. And see, when you get that buy-in from that young people, totally. it's, it's probably been the best piece of work I've been involved in because it was a huge project. It's like, but it was so rewarding. It's somebody who had been to a funeral in the morning but turned up in his funeral suit and put on his boiler suit and got stuck in. Wow. And that is how, I mean, he never completed school, but he was able to, to do that. Yeah, it still speaks about it to this day. You know, it's it's just very humbling to be part of that that journey there. What you're helping build there is a set of beliefs and moral habits to prepare and qualify people for work and and social integration with a shared purpose and collaborative approach, which helps people believe and feel confident and connected to something better, as well as develop a, a more positive and can-do attitude. Would you mind giving an example? of a hero's journey of one of the, 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 the people that you helped enable moving them from where they were to where they ended up getting to. Absolutely. I mean, and, and the one I'm going to use is, is kind of the obvious one because this lad won awards for his turning his life around. You know that? Um, he um, met Prince Charles. We went down to um, London and he met all these celebrities and was hobnobbing. This is a young lad from a part of Peterhead that I grew up in as well, you know, and, and to see the journey that he went on. But So he started my programme, um, having been referred by a criminal justice worker. He'd never completed school. He'd been involved in knife crime. And he was only coming on, and he'd be honest about this, he was only coming on to appease his criminal justice worker, you know, so he was doing it to kind of keep people happy. He was doing it just, not because he wanted to do it, but because it would get people off his back. Yeah. And then slowly, he was coming because he wanted to come. You know that? But he had to put all of the work in. He had to be the one that was turning up half past nine for a 10 o'clock start, which isn't late, but if you've got a young person whose day is night and night is day, you know, then a half past nine for a 10 o'clock start. And I'm... If 10 o'clock and, the, and the, the doors got closed on my sessions, you know, so I said, you've got to be here for 10 o'clock. If it's one minute past 10, you know, I'm sorry, you'll have to wait till break time. You know, so it was a bit of tough love in that, you know, because yeah. you need consistency and you need to be knowing that there are rules in place for a reason. Yeah. But he shone through this programme. He absolutely nailed it. He was coming. He got off his order early. He um, came back on and volunteered in my next programme. He, um, like I say, I nominated him for an award. He won his Scottish award, which then meant he went into the pot and he was selected to go down to London. And he was in the top three for his category. He didn't win his category, but they were all winners in his trite, as cheesy as that sounds, but they were all winners. Because this was a young lad who had no belief and who thought his life was marked out for him. He knew where he was going to end up because he'd been told it by so many people, this is where you're going to end up. This is what's going to happen to you. This is where you're going to go. You know, and then... He would, so this is a this is a great way, right? So he had a 
a careers um, fair, there was a, a recruitment fair at the local high school that he wasn't allowed to go to whilst the school was on because he had been excluded for school, so he wasn't allowed on school grounds when there was pupils. So he had to go to the jobs fair when all the pupils had gone. So I think it was at half past five, six o'clock at yeah. night, he yeah. went to this clear fair. Saw this job he was interested in, spoke to them. They asked him to send in a CV. He then went, had an CV, got an interview, beat 93 people for that job. Wow. And got the job. That, you know, 93 people, yeah. you know, that he beat for that job. And yet, 18 months prior, you know, he had been told that it was never going to be for him. He was going to be X, Y, or Z, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's really, really powerful. And that's him that's done all that work. We were there at points throughout his journey, you know, to kind of point out what was yeah. going to happen if he did this, what was going to do that. But it's like you said, that consistency and being there for him. If he makes mistakes, you know, all through my programs, I encourage mistakes to be made, Roy. You know, as long as it's made the same mistake every single yeah. time, then there's no learning. Right. But make a hundred mistakes because there's a hundred lessons you're going to be learning there, you know? And it's a safe space to make these mistakes because people are all too worried about making mistakes. Oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if it happens? Well, we'll deal with it, you know? But at least we can say we've tried and we can rule that one out. You know, so this lad came on and did a great thing, you know? And it's, yeah. But then there's equally somebody else who did my very first programme who then messaged me 11 years later to say that she'd moved into her first nursing job and she just wanted to thank me for taking her on that very first programme you know and that's 11 years later and she still looks back on that 12 weeks that 60 days is, is a really fun time Your leadership approach comes across as harmonising in that you create positive and stable environments inspire uh, loyalty which generates honesty and, 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 and trust and as a person, you come across as a dependable, reliable type that's focused on the outcome and the quality execution in terms of how to kind of get there. I've got a really nice life up in here, Roy. Do you know that? I've got yeah. a, a lovely family. It's, it's great to come home every day, you know. And, and I say that to the, to the people that we, the clients that we work with, you know, that I ain't got any, it's, it's nail bells and whistles, you know, but you can achieve this as well, yeah. you know, and it is work, you know, sometimes you really have to work at things to get it, but yeah. the rewards are, are absolutely infinitesimal, you know, it's, yeah. it's what you get back. I'll never, ever be a millionaire in this type of work, you know, money has never been the motivating factor for me, you know, but for me, it's seeing those people succeed and seeing a client progress and move in and unlocking that potential because the potential is there, it's just about how we unlock it and the way yeah. in which we we do that, you know, it's, it's kind of unique and different from yeah. the education where they've got to teach my syllabus, we kind of work around that, or what I think I would need if I was 14 or 15, at right. that really pivotal age, you know, yeah. I, I always use that as, as my baseline, you know yeah. who would I need, what would I need, you know, yeah. and that's who I try to be, that's what I try and tell the staff as well, that the team that we work with, you know is, is be that youth worker that they needed, you know. Yeah. What do you believe are the key skills needed to be a successful community leader, Brian? Being patient um, and also don't take it personal, you know. Yeah. For um, for all of this, you know, um, people will stop you and they'll say, oh, yeah, you did this, but you did that, and it's thanks to you. You know, but it's it's really no thanks to me at all. I wasn't the one who who walked in that door on that very first day. It's, it's all down to that young people. So it's about knowing your place as well. For, for me, the skill is open communication with people, you know, so having been a really good communicator and, and speaking the language that people, people speak, that young people speak, you know, all too often their school cut and their voices aren't listened. 
you know, so listen to what they're saying to you. Don't just hear what they're saying. Listen to yeah. what they're saying. What do they, what do they want? Yeah. And sometimes that is not going to be possible what they want, but you kind of need to communicate that back in a fashion to show them what is possible. Instead yeah. of just shutting the door and saying, no, it can't happen. You know, this is your options. You know, so having that patience and having that, that ability to just listen to what is actually going on with these young people or with our communities or with our um, clients that we work with and unpicking it for that, you know, that, that's the key one for me. The, the key one is always communication. Yeah. Without communication, you've got nothing else, Roy. You've got no. absolutely nothing else. It's amusing listening to your story there, Brian, and kind of growing up together in the same um, neighbourhood. Those traits that you spoke about there are absolutely existent when you were young. And so, for example, when we played football together, you were very industrious. You worked really hard and was committed to you know, doing the job at hand and coming up with ideas and, and better ways of kind of doing things. And you were very energetic in your application of, of work. You were always a direct communicator in terms of you would give very honest feedback to people. And it was always done with the intent that to improve the, the, the performance of someone and to stamp out things that was negative within that behavior or performance or whatever it might be with the positive intent that you were helping them um, see, the, see the unseen for them and help coach them along the way. So it's really interesting to see that those patterns from a very young age has became really prominent within your profession. As you take stock and look back, what are your lessons learned in terms of the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success that you can share with existing and aspiring community leaders? So for me, the pitfalls and successes are really, really closely aligned. Um, anytime I think um, of the things that haven't worked within my community or haven't worked um, with the young people I've worked at, it's because I haven't listened properly to what they're saying. So I've went off on my own track or I've, I've kind of thought I know what's best for this community rather than engaging in meaningful conversation and dialogue with the people that you're working with and be it young people um, or be it a larger community um, if I look back and think about the young people you know back in my, my lead days and, and as a youth worker you know um, working with them and listening to what they need as opposed to me trying to impose what I think they need you know there's no point in trying to deliver a session on testicular cancer um to a group of three people when you've got 24 people outside getting drunk on a, on a weekend. You know, you've kind of got to go where the issues are. Um, and I use that because that was an example as I started out just as a, as a youngish youth worker, you know, that I, I couldn't understand why we were trying to flog this session on testicular cancer when outside there was a whole patch, a whole group of young people who were sitting there getting drunk. And surely we go to them and listen to what they're saying and try to get them to fit around our narrative. And then laterally, you know, I think the successes, you know, the, the community projects, the, the learning programs that we've taken on board, it's because we've listened to our target audience, we've listened to our communities. So without that active listening skills and without that being able to respond and communicate properly, then you're never going to, to have that impact that you want to have and that the community needs. 
So it's it's really simple. It's 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 not rocket science, you know. But you need to be able to listen and communicate properly. Tilting forward into the future, what's your vision for youth culture and community leadership? And how do you see the role of creativity play a more vital role? So this last 18 months for young people has been really, really difficult on them. You know, it's certainly for the clients that we work with, certainly for the young people that that we work with, you know, they've had a really, really tough 18 months. You know, we moved all our learning programs online, which meant that they weren't having to leave their houses or whatever they're at to come into our classrooms and kind of do experiential learning, which in some respects is great because it means that we've been able to tap into a different type of client and we've been able to open access to anyone. You know, and I mean not in anyone. We've looked at the barriers. We've provided kit for people to join into our, um, our um, learning programmes. So we've provided over the last year over 470 laptops and connectivity so learners can enroll in one of our programmes, which is a huge, huge undertaking. But it's meant that the young people haven't been able to separate learning from home. So they've not been able to come out that door. They've not been able to to kind of mix with their peers. They've not been able to go away in a residential. They've not been able to take part in work experience. So they're kind of further behind the starting line than they were 18, 19 months ago. You know, so for a lot of my young people is certainly with the pandemic as well, that the, the, the industries that, that we were kind of getting employment in, you know, as a starting point, you know, it's the ones that have been worst hit, you know, something that the, the retail, the hospitality and leisure, you know, all of these have been badly hit by the pandemic. So mm-hmm. we are having this backlog of young people who have gotten qualifications, who are now looking ready to move into employment, but there's not that employment there for them. You know, so we need to be being creative about what comes next for these young people, you know, because otherwise it's, it's really detrimental to their mental health and to the, to the future, you know. If they're not able to move into employment straight away, then there's going to be another school year that leaves, there's going to be another university year that leaves, so they're getting pushed further and further back behind that, that starting line. So we need, and the government's been really good over this last month of trying to come up with initiatives to help young people move into employment, you know, so there's, it's it's happening, but, you know, is it happening fast enough? Probably not, you know, but it's, it's what it is and it is what it is. And so we need to be encouraging our young people to, to think of the jobs that don't exist yet, you know, the digital things that don't exist yet, the, the jobs that are going to come out of having all these brand new technologies, you know, yeah. so that's going to yeah. be a real investment in these programs to help upskill these young people to get them to start thinking about the future and get them thinking about beyond the, the street that they grew up in or the road that leads them to out of town you know the world is a big place out there you know and it's getting them to think that it doesn't have to be in this town you know it doesn't have to be where they think they've got to be um, the young people need to be broadening horizons and in a way this whole way of digital learning is kind of showing them that you can be anywhere you know, and you can kind of look here me and you, and we're touching base just now in different time zones. But for the young people, it's opening up our doors to show them what is possible, to show them what they can achieve, and to show them what is out there. But that needs everybody working in partnership, you know, because we're just a small cog of the, the bigger wheel, you know. So it needs a little bit more joined up working from everybody to kind of ensure that the young people are getting to move into these positive destinations. Realizing your full potential to live a fulfilled life 
means unlocking and applying your creative power to do and excel at what you love. Remember, our outputs are the next generation's inputs. That comes with accountability and responsibility to pass the baton to the next generation by leaving the world in better shape than you found it. So make it count. It is all about attitude, imagination and execution. You have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast. Please follow, subscribe, rate and review us. For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening.